the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Miracles happened in the ancient Holy Land. Can you expect them today with your modern problems? Pastor Dale O'Shields brings the Bible to life in this exciting new series shot on location in the Holy Land. See where Jesus walked. Learn how to live in his power to overcome your challenges. Begins July 8th and 9th at Church of the Redeemer. For more information, check the website at church-redeemer.org. That's church-redeemer.org. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Today, I want to talk to you about two more very important principles when it comes to learning how to reset your energy. The first thing I'd like to talk about today is you're going to reset your energy. You have to let go of some emotional weights in your life. In your life, there are times that your emotions will weigh you down. Your emotions will become very heavy. You ever had a day when you just felt a heaviness in your emotions and your feelings? And you couldn't even perhaps describe why it was there. Maybe you could describe where it came from, but you're just weighed down on the inside in your emotions. And if you don't deal with emotional weight in your life, what will happen is it will wear you out. You can have all the physical energy in the world, but if something's bothering you on the inside, it drains you. It just pulls away your energy. I want to take you to two passages of Scripture in the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke that tell some very emotional stories of two men that went through some very emotional times. The first one is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of a young man who decided to leave home. We know him as the prodigal son. But I want to give you the essence of the emotions that this young man was going through along with his father and the setting there and how it affected his life and how it drained him of energy and how a relationship with the father renewed that in his life. Notice Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11. To illustrate the point further, that's the point that Jesus is making about finding the lost. Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. I love that part of the story. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son who was in the, who was in the fields working When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Let me talk to you about this story for a moment. I want you to see not just the essence of the story. I want you to get the emotions of the story. What were the feelings that are behind all of this story that Jesus gave us? There was a day when a young man goes to his father and says, Dad, I got some plans for my life. I'm ready for my money now. In fact, I want it. I want what you're planning to give me when you die. I want you to give it to me now. In other words, he wished, in essence, his father dead. Just be as good as dead to me right now. I want everything you've got. Not, I don't care about you. I care about what you want to give me. So it's a very selfish orientation of this young man. Can you imagine with me the moment when that father heard the request of that son, how painful it must have been to the dad to hear the son asking that of him but being a father that realized I've got to let my son do what my son wants to do he's got to find his own way in life he says I'm going to give to you what you're asking he gave him his inheritance and the son went away and the initial emotions of the son his emotions were very excited he was thrilled about his new opportunity his newfound freedom he's going out he's going to make the world in his liking he wants to do his own thing and he's happy about it it's not long before, after getting out into the world and trying a few things here and there, that he starts making some really bad choices, and he wastes every bit of the resource that has been given to him, and he finds himself in a predicament. And so he's gone from elation to depression. He's gone from excitement about his newfound freedom to now realizing the price that he's paying for the choices that he has made. And so he now has run out of money. He has nothing to eat at all. And so he goes to a farmer and says, will you hire me to do some work here? And the farmer says, sure, you can feed my pigs. Now, this was a Jewish young man. And so to understand the degradation of this, to feed swine was one of the worst things you could imagine for a Jewish person because they were considered so unclean, swine were. And so here he is now in this very unclean, horrible situation. He has nothing to eat, so he eats the same food the pigs are eating. But the Bible says there's one day that he comes to his senses. He wakes up and says, I I don't like this life. I made a really big mistake. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to go to my dad. I don't deserve to be a son any longer. He was feeling his guilt and shame for what he'd done. I'm going to go back home and say, Dad, would you just hire me to be one of your servants? I know that your servants are treated better than I'm being treated here. I just want to be a servant. I'm not, I know I can't be a son any longer, but can I be a servant? And so he goes back home, and the Bible says that when the father saw him coming from a far distance, the father ran toward him and threw his arms around him with love and compassion and didn't call him a servant. He called him a son. 
what I want you to see is this young man did not only have to deal with his sin, he had to deal with a lot of emotional baggage that went along with his sin. Amen? Let me take you to another story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I need to set this passage up for you as well so you'll understand what's going on here. It's the story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who worked for Rome because during the time of Jesus' day, Rome was governing Palestine or Israel during this particular time. The Roman Empire was there uh, in that particular area. And so this man, Zacchaeus, had contracted with the Roman government, being a Jew, to collect taxes from his fellow citizens. And the way the system would work is that if you were a Jewish man collecting taxes for Rome, you would establish a quota with Rome, a certain amount of money that you would collect for them every year, and you would pay that to Rome. Anything you collected above and beyond that went in your own pockets. And so there was a lot of abuse that went along with this. And so here is Zacchaeus, who had made himself very wealthy, taking advantage of his fellow neighbors, Jewish neighbors, people that he lived with every day. He's taking advantage of them, charging them taxes that they were not even due. The Bible says that one day that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to his town. This was the town of Jericho. And Zacchaeus said, boy, I'd like to see that guy. I don't really want him to see me, but I'd like to see him. I've heard some stories about him and realized he's a miracle worker. I'd love to see him. But there was another issue that Zacchaeus faced. He was short. Was he not only feeling the guilt of what he was doing to his neighbors and to his friends by stealing from them, but he was also a bit insecure about the fact of, of his own stature. He was a short man. So when he hears that Jesus is coming, he runs into the town where Jesus is going to pass by. He climbs up into a tree. He says, I'm going to hide here. I want to see him. Don't want Jesus to see me. Let's go to the story now, Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse number 5. When Jesus came by, that's where Zacchaeus was, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So Jesus knew his name. Jesus had never met him before, but he knew his name. Jesus knows your name. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation or deliverance or freedom has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now we see emotions in this story. Here is Zacchaeus, who was guilty of taking advantage of his fellow citizens, charging them too much money, getting wealthy at their expense. He knew that he'd done wrong. He felt that reality every day of his life and the shame that went along with it, but also the greed that he felt to have everything he could out of life materially. And he hears about Jesus, and Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. And there in that moment, he moves from a guilt-ridden person to someone that has, at least for the first time in a long time, some level of hope. For he says that when Jesus spoke those words, he responded with excitement and joy that Jesus would want to come to my house. Can you imagine that Jesus would want to come to my house, Zacchaeus thought. And Jesus goes home with him that day, and there in that moment, There's this interaction that happens between Zacchaeus and Jesus where there's a forgiveness of sins, there's a restoration of his life, the salvation that comes to him, and everything changes for Zacchaeus. His life is turned around. Emotions. Zacchaeus had to deal not only with his sin, but he also had to deal with the emotions of his sin. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. See what the scripture says in relationship to this. Get ready to circle a phrase here as we go through this. Therefore, the writer says, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, what's the next word there? Every weight, okay? And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here, God says, there are things in your life that may not be a sin, but they can be a weight to you, and they will hinder you in your journey. I want to give you four words that will help you to understand what you do when you have an emotional weight in your life that needs to be resolved. Four words that will help you to do this. Number one is the word repentance. Write it down, repentance. I think we have the wrong concept at times of repentance. Repentance is not just feeling sorry about something. Repentance is changing, okay? Repentance is recognizing your need to change. That's all it is. Repentance is God getting your attention about something that he wants to help you with in your life. See, God is not sitting up in heaven with a big baseball bat looking for an opportunity to hit you, okay? And make you feel miserable about life. God is not against you. God is for you. Isn't that good to know? In fact, why don't we say together, God is for me. God is for me. So even when God brings something to your attention, like a sin or a weight in your life, He brings it to your attention not to beat you up about it, not to make you feel miserable about it, but so you can, He can get your attention so that you can do something about it in your life, and that's called repentance. Repentance means, I want to change this. I don't want to stay in the same pathway. And the same is true when it comes to an emotional weight, whether it's hopelessness or despair or grief or anger, whatever it may be inside of you, you You'll only deal with it when you recognize it, that it's there. When you come to your senses and say, this is really draining my life, and so I don't want to stay this way any longer. I want to change the way I'm thinking and living about this. And so there's a moment of repentance that says, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want my life to turn. I want my life to change. Can I ask you today, do you want your life to turn? Do you want your life to change in a better direction? It's called repentance, okay? It's not God beating you up. It's God helping you out, okay? And then from that repentance comes the next word I will give you. That's the word release, that when God makes you aware of something in your life and you repent, you say, God, I see that. I get that. I understand that. I I grasp that. Now I want to release that to you. I want to bring it to you. We know this classically in the area of your sin. When you realize that you've done something wrong, The release happens when you go to God and confess your sin. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the cleansing. That's the release. But emotions have to be released to God as well. If you're angry about something or angry at somebody, instead of going directly to them first, why don't you go to God first? Amen? Okay. And you go to God first, say, God, I need to pour out this stuff that's in me and get it right with you so that I can have the right attitude in my heart and so you can begin to work in me. I want this thing cleansed out of me and released from me and you can actually work through things. You'll be better able than to have, if necessary, the right communication with someone else if you've gone to God first, okay? So you come to God in repentance. You come to God recognizing the emotions that are holding you back and holding you down. You bring them to God in release. Say, God, I want to give them to you. And the third word is restoration. That's the key to writing it down. That that word, write it down. Restoration. Restoration is not what you do. Restoration now is what God does. You do the repentance. You do the release. But then when you do the repentance and you do the release, what does God do? God does the 
restoration. What is restoration? He fixes stuff in your life. God fixes stuff that you can't fix. Think about that son that we talked about earlier in Luke chapter 15, that when he realized that he wanted to go back home and all he wanted to be was a servant. He said, if I can just serve my dad, I don't even need to be a son any longer. But the Bible says that while this son was afar off, that this father saw him and came running to him and threw his arms around him and didn't call him a servant. He called him a son and brought him back home and restored him in relationship and restored him with celebrating his return. I'll tell you something. God, our God, is a good God. He is a God of restoration. He can put your life back together again, okay? And there are people that can stand up and testify, I came to God in repentance. I began to release all of my brokenness to God. I began to open up my life to Him, and I'm a different person today than I was when I came to Jesus because He's done a restoring work in my life. Is it done yet? No, it's not done yet, but I will tell you, He will finish the good work that He began in your life. How many can say that God's already done some restoration in you? Amen? He's a restoring God. Zacchaeus saw the restoration in his life. And the last word I'll give you here is the word restitution. The idea of restitution comes from the concept of Zacchaeus. What he did, the Bible says that after Jesus saved him and restored him, what did he say? Well, I'm going to go out and do some good things. I'm going to go back and give back to people that I've taken from. I'm going to get busy doing right with my life. In other words, his life was turned around in such a way that he began to serve other people and serve the kingdom of God. And so here's the key. When you're weighted, weighed, weighed down with emotional baggage, you need to recognize it and want to change it, okay? That's called repentance. You need to bring it to God and release. Say, God, I need to give this to you, and then to pray your way through it to release it to God. You need to open your life to His restoration, then rise up and begin to live with restitution. Live a life that is positive in its momentum toward other people serving them. Amen? The second thing I want to share with you today, if you're not going to reset our energy is we must also make the decision to restore, or I should say, actively engage in life. Actively engage in life. Energy reproduces energy. It's easier to keep something moving that is already moving than it is to start something moving that has stopped. Correct? When you think about these, these uh, rockets that are shot up into the moon or in the atmosphere, satellites that are put into space and so forth, there's this, this rocket, this boost that goes up, this blast that sends them out of the atmosphere. And what I'm told, I don't know the specifics in terms of percentages, but I'm told that a, a significant amount of the fuel that is used up in getting that satellite in space or that rocket ship in space is, is used up in the initial blast, making, uh, breaking the pull of gravity. And so most of the energy is used in the initial movement, okay? The same is true in, in, in many ways of life. The initial movement, trying to get something that has stopped moving, you have to put some impetus into it. You have to put some energy, extra energy into it. But once the ball is rolling, it's a lot easier to keep it rolling, correct? All right. So what you want to do in life is you don't want to be living your life where you're always having to kind of get yourself going again, okay? kind of come down, you stop, oh, I got to get going again, and somebody has to give you a push, you got to put a lot of energy and try to get going again, the best way to maintain your energy is to stay in motion, amen, okay, 
It's called momentum, okay? And the more momentum there is in your life, the easier it is to stay in momentum. This is an example of this. Many years ago, when you, if you would go into to, to a hospital for, for significant surgery, I mean, you'd have surgery, and they would leave you in the hospital for five or six days in the bed, just laying there, oh, I had surgery, okay, I had surgery. Don't move, you had surgery, okay? So you're in the bed for five or six days. You know what they do nowadays? You have surgery, and they learn something. They realize the best way to bring recuperation to someone is as soon as possible after the surgery. What are they doing? They're getting you up and doing what? Moving you around. Why? Because they realize that the best thing to do is not to leave you lacking the momentum, but to keep you in momentum because there's an energy. Let me ask you this question. Who has the most energy in their life? The person that daily walks on the treadmill or runs on the treadmill or exercises or the person that lays on the couch all day? Who has more energy? Right? Are you with me here? Okay. So there's a certain dimension of action that generates energy. Energy reproduces energy. Okay? When you stop the flow of energy... It takes a lot more energy to get it going again, and there's a lot less likely chance that you will get the energy going again. Take a look at some scriptures with me. Ecclesiastes, the writer here, Solomon, describes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 6. Plant your seed in the morning and keep, what's the next word there? busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe from both here the writer says you got to make sure when you wake up in the morning get out there planting your seed okay and then don't 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 break apart the the process in the afternoon make sure that you stay busy all afternoon you don't know what kind of profit will come in your life jesus reminded or god reminded us of this and giving us the ten commandments he said six days shalt thou, thou labor on the seventh day is a sabbath a day of rest we like to turn that around Around, don't we wish it was six days thou shalt rest and one day thou shalt labor but jesus said no six days you shall labor and then one day is a day of rest so there's something about this energy luke 19 12 and 13 therefore he said a certain nobleman jesus speaking here went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return so he called ten of his servants delivered to them ten minas and said to them do business till i come that is occupy till i come stay busy doing something with your life see even we as Christians. We don't sit around and just sort of wait till Jesus comes back again. No, we're going to be busy until Jesus comes back again doing the work of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, that's you and me, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live, what kind of lives? idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us for you know that you ought to imitate us we were not idle when we were with you we were we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it we work hard how often day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you the apostle paul writes to the thessalonians and said guys you remember when we came to preach the gospel to you we paid for everything that we we we, we took we, we had we didn't charge it to you we were we were engaged we worked hard day and night in fact there was a time in paul's ministry that to supplement his own income to make sure he had enough he worked a job he was a tent maker just to make sure he had enough so he didn't have to be a burden 
on anybody else. He said, look at us. We work hard. We engage energy. Let's continue down in the same chapter, chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Notice what happens here. Uh, Excuse me, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Notice there's this connection that if you want energy, keep on doing good. So the essence of what I want to give you today is this. There are times in life that you're going to need to reset your energy. There are are things that you can do to keep your energy where it needs to be because your energy is the capacity to do things with your life. You can't accomplish what God has for you without energy. How do you do it? You make sure that you are offloading your emotional weights. They're very sneaky. They can sneak up upon you and drain your energy. So you must learn to consistently bring them to God in repentance and and with release. Let Him restore you. Get you moving again. And when you start moving, stay moving. Don't become idle. Energy reproduces energy. Stay in the momentum of life. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Jesus Plus Nothing, 100% natural, no additives. Best-selling author Andrew Farley is celebrating your freedom in Christ. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.